Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Sean Strickland of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the death metal guy, aka one year sober, 33 years pissed. <laughs> is, is, is that... Is that your edge tattoo? <laughs> no, I just uh, I just hit my one year today, so <laughs> I was trying to yeah. think of a pun. <laughs> well, 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 congrats, man. Oh, thanks, um, dude. And I am the black metal guy, a.k.a. 4.15 a.m. car alarm. 4.25 a.m. car alarm. 5.30 a.m. car alarm. 6.15 car alarm. 7.13 car alarm. 8.45 car alarm. 9.30 car alarm. 1 p.m. in the afternoon car alarm. I love living in the city. This is Josh from Defeated Sanity, and you're listening to Terminus Extreme Metal Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, uh... This year, and I, I, I believe really the last couple years we've been doing the show, um, there's been a lot of surprise returns from uh, artists that we never necessarily expected to see coming back to releasing music. And we've got some more of those coming through the rest of the year, uh, just based on the upcoming release schedule. But as far as most unanticipated return of a forgotten band, I think this is going to top the charts for 2023. We have the second ever full-length record by Imperial Crystalline Entombment, or ICE, titled titled Ancient Glacial Resurgence, out on, is it Debemer Morty? Debemer, I think, what we owe the the dead. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, We are still fucking ICE. Dude, this came out of absolute left field. No one had thought about this band in years except for weird internet metal people. Um, Just a total shock to see this band returning. Um, I was seeing a lot of memes about it on Instagram, like about this band. mm -hmm. And maybe they had some idea there was going to be a return and hence the memes. Or maybe they just maybe they decided to return because of the memes. That yeah, seems like the move yeah. of this band. <laughs> I, I didn't even know there was a new record coming out. I, I just and then suddenly like it existed. And I just saw it in all these memes and was like, "Haha, that's a cool album cover. I should check those guys out sometime." And then suddenly, <laughs> yeah, speak them, speak the name, and they appear. So did you um, back in the day? Did you did you ever hear the first Ice record? No, not at all. Okay, so. I'm gonna I'm gonna give a little bit of background just because I think there's probably a lot of younger listeners who have no idea who this is. So back in uh, 2004, this band Ice came out of nowhere after a demo that I think only a few people heard. Uh, it came out and it was actually really well received, especially by like internet metal weirdos. One, because it's just a really, really good record, and two, because it's it has a unique and kind of fun aesthetic that is, you know, really meme worthy and just really entertaining overall. Um, we didn't know who was in Ice back then, but the personal have been revealed since. Um, I, don't, I don't know what we thought back then, if they were randos or if we thought they were names, but no one was that concerned about it. It's not like today where everybody needs to know everything. Um, 
so now we know that the personnel uh, include, um, you know, J.J. Hrubovac, uh, a couple of the guys from Aurora Borealis, which is a sort of proggy, techy black death band that never quite got to the level of one of the really big ones, but are really solid and worth listening to. Um, so back in 2004, this crew of guys who are associated in like a distant way with like a crew of musicians that uh, work at Relapse Records, um, this mm. sort of, yeah, sort of Maryland, D.C., V.A., Pennsylvania scene that all kind of mm -hmm. goes together. Um so back in 2004, these guys made a record of blasting, immortal-worshipping USBM, which was really good. Um, it was unfortunately released on Crash Music, which is not the best label. Those who aren't familiar might know them under the name Pavement Music uh, during the 90s and early 2000s before it changed to Crash. Um, a lot of bands did not have great experiences with those labels, and Ice probably fell a little bit into obscurity just because of that. Um, so yeah, this is back in 2004. This is a hit of internet extreme metal in its purest sense, and it's an era that I really love because that's when I started getting into extreme metal. I heard the first Ice record back then, and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, it was really fun, really extreme, and kind of funny in a way that was like there was a ton of affection in the parody that this music sort of is um, and it works well because they play it so straight and just really commit to the bit and as a result make just a really awesome extreme metal record um, so it's almost 20 years later and the second album has been released and I'm happy to say that it's really fucking good. It has all the charm of the first record, but now it's been, you know, even further polished by another 20 years of refinement from the musicians involved. Um, the songs are really good and really fast and compact, and every track has at least one or two big hooks that'll make you remember it very distinctly. Uh, and it is a window into an era of very blast-focused USBM that kind of disappeared over the last decade or so. So um, I don't know if everyone will enjoy this as much as I do, but since I was there for the original incarnation, this kind of has a special place for me. It's just, it's so charming to see this band back. Um, Black Metal Guy, first experience with Ice. What do, you, what do you think? What were your expectations and were they fulfilled? Well, I didn't know what to expect. I kind of, when you see a cover like that, you basically assume it's going to be pretty good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> at least if you're us. But um, uh, this rules, man. <laughs> like, I, I, I wasn't there for the first one, but I'm there for this one. Uh, let's see. So, you know how, like, we've talked about, we used to talk about this more on the show, right? Every band especially in black metal, right? You can tell kind of what what RPG class the band is. Yeah. Right? Um, and if you check the cover, Isar going with a pure wizard build, right? Emperor were wizards with swords. Ice are just wizards. They have their robes. They have their staffs. They have their long their long hair, um, which retains its vitality and its, its, its youthful black color despite their centuries-old age. Um, <laughs> uh, 
they're wizards and can I steal a phrase of yours here, Death Metal Guy? Sure. <laughs> this is your phrase, but I, I it's I just thought of it. It's they're they're wizards, and normally in black metal you expect maybe that to be just a little more remote, right? Mm-hmm. Sort of maybe intense in a way, but you know, majestic, intricate, uh, atmospheric, cool wizard music. Mm-hmm. Well, this is definitely cool wizard music, but the thing about these guys is they have big spells. <laughs> Enormous spells. They cast the biggest spells. These, um, these are uh, these are DPS wizards. These aren't crowd control wizards right here. Oh, They're here to do damage. Frost Vortex all day. Yes. Um, if you check the album cover, you can see that they are in fact summoning uh, frost spirits, which could be, I think, be di- best described using the uh, technical Old Norse term, dick wolves. <laughs> I- I'm not kidding. In ancient Norse witchcraft, certain kinds of attack spirits were understood basically as phallic wolves projected through the air. I like um, that. Yeah. But yeah, these there be these are icy dick wolves hurtling out of the Antarctic void. Um, and um. So yeah, they've got some AOE, they've got some summons, uh, pure DPS. <laughs> um, but you, you might think, okay, well surely these are very simple wizards, but no. They are master mages. Uh, and this is, as you say, an extremely fun record. Um, but behind that, there's really sophisticated composition. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's obsessively detailed, and it doesn't offer any of the kinds of kicks that are current in black metal. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. This is not conventionally, uh, as the kids mean it these days, triumphant, i.e. poppy black metal. Uh, it's hard-edged. Um, and if this is, if Immortal is the reference, right, it's the second half of Sons of Northern Darkness. Yeah. I think these guys understand things about Immortal that are typically ignored by others. Right. So, I mean, you very wisely said they're interested in the most death metal side of Immortal. Yeah, yeah. And and more than and of the black metal parts of Immortal, it's when Immortal is operating at this stadium scale, but embracing a sort of uh, um, refinement and severity in black metal composition and agility and how the compositions work. Uh, so um, so especially like tracks like Within the Dark Mind and Antarctica, especially Antarctica. Yeah, definitely right? Antarctica. <laughs> Somebody described their aesthetic as Antarctic, which I think totally makes sense, right? Yeah. Um, so that like the songs move really quickly uh, and they usually don't have that many reps per riff. Maybe four, it, it's unusual to get more than four without a variation. Um... And they just surge in this very uh, graceful way from uh, one high contrast riff to another high contrast riff, where at the very least the um, the textures are very different and often the harmonies are very different, but there's an overarching uh, sense of melody and direction that threads it all together. Um, and every time they approach a huge immortal st- 
Well, actually, let's get to your sample, and then I'll point it out. Yeah, because um, I, I wanted to play a sample before I got into more of where I think this is coming from, especially in its place of, like, the history of USBM. Uh, I think this will make some things clear for both of us. So uh, my first sample is literally just the opening of the album. Uh, by the way, since you haven't heard the first, um, the first album does, in fact, begin with the vocalist screaming, We are fucking ice. Um, so I, I, as soon as I heard the callback, I was like, yeah, 10 out of 10 record. This is fucking awesome. Um, this is a great song. I think that these first couple minutes are an amazing microcosm of the album as a whole. It's like almost fractal. Um, so let's check it out. It's also the most fun you're going to have this year. We are still fucking through that whole sample dude oh dude every part's so fucking cool yeah man <laughs> it's it's really hard to know where to start honestly uh well so so here's uh, i'll bring up a couple things that i find interesting um something that makes this uh uniquely american is the intrusion of some of these like distinctly American ideas of like death death metal and metalcore will mm -hmm. bleed in. Uh, so there's a 
an awesome, uh, as you guys heard, sort of pseudo-metalcore melodic breakdown that occurs, that big expansive section with that sweeping up and down lead guitar. Uh, that is just outstanding. Um, but there's also a propensity towards like deliberately groovy mosh riffing on this that I really love. You know, just that that really heavy chugging palm mute against the high speed trem, uh, that sort of war metal effect you were pointing out while it was playing. Yeah, the boom, boom, boom. Yeah, boom. yeah. So that lead, right? That's what you were talking about. That that the lower lead, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, yeah. Boom. That sliding thing has some like greasy American metalcore to it, right? Mm -hmm. Is that yeah, and. And, like, that's almost a blues bend in one part of that phrase. And then over top of it, you have just a very noble martial war metal trim. And over the sustained blasts, I was just like, uh, that, uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's just, it's awesome. Like, the core of this music is based around Immortal, and I think Dissection is probably a big mm -hmm. one here, too. Uh, there's, I think there's a lot of stuff that's directly sort of Storm of the Lightsbane-inspired. Um, but what gets me about this um, is placing this in the context of this sort of now forgotten style of very, like, blasting U.S. Norse core. Um, and I think going back to the style now reveals things about it that we never really considered before. Um, I feel like this style of USBM is structurally and sort of in terms of how it functions as a genre, more of a death metal subgenre. Um, I'm talking about bands in the vein of like Cult of Azazel or Thornspawn, these um, super blast heavy, very direct sort of warlike black metal bands that were uh, popular in the 90s and mm -hmm. the early 2000s. Oh, were you, did you have something? I was just gonna say Thornspawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there's something about these bands and the way that they're willing to move and their lack of interest in the finer points of black metal riffing. And that's not to say that they're bad, just they're after something very different. Um, really strike me as more like death metal. Because I think for a long time, uh, guys who just liked black metal in the U.S. are kind of a recent development. Like, you always listened to death metal and if you liked black metal, that was an an also thing for you. Yeah, that totally made that was still that was still the norm even when I was just starting to get into it, I think. Yeah, that that started to pivot probably in the early 2010s, but it's hard to remember that now. But culturally, there were still a lot of metalheads who just like didn't really enjoy black metal straight up. And now that's completely shifted, and now we've got tons of people who only like black metal. Um so with that in mind, you know, a lot of these early 2000s USBM bands were staffed by death metal guys and death metal players who also liked black metal. Um, <laughs> you're thinking staffed, about me. Staffed is a great word. <laughs> yeah. just, I don't know why I went with staffed. No, no, that, that, that's awesome. You know, that I think that's often how it'd be, right? Maybe like one guy, like the vocalist or something, is a very serious cryptic black metal dude. Mm. And then he's just got to like... He's got to coordinate his staff of drunk death metal dudes. Yeah, 
So, so basically, these guys who are, they're death metal musicians, and they really like black metal, but maybe they don't have all the musical vocabulary for it, end up doing something like this. Okay, so black metal is kind of like Tampa death metal, but it's like more melodic, and there's a lot of blast beats, and our guitars are in standard, and we're singing about the devil instead of killing people now. <laughs> like, and we, we're going to make the, the riffs more tram-oriented and less technical, but we're still going to really emphasize being heavy and brutal in a very death metal way. Um, so I don't know. That was just something this album got me thinking about because so much of this, while this is aesthetically black metal, is structurally wholly rooted in older styles of death metal. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing you could say is, uh, is that a lot of the... Um, I suppose if you want to talk about being grounded in specifically black metal technique, right? Well, okay, black metal has, like, textured cording, shifting walls of chords over blast beats. These guys' textured cording is almost deliberately phoned in. They always find, <laughs> they always find clever way, really clever ways of doing it and moving around the fretboard in kind of uh, uh, sort of jarring, almost disharmonic ways, but they're just doing dark funeral chords. Yeah. They do yeah. dark funeral chords, but they give them a brutality that you can only really find from death metal. So I guess they're not specifically... The style is phoned in. The specifics are are bespoke. But, like, they're just like, yeah, throw some big-ass, you know, dark funeral chords on there. And then in terms of the, the more... Um, the melodies and the more memorable riffs, the heavy lifting is all done on single string tremolo lead, mm -hmm. which is much more death metal, right? You know, you get the... Right? Yeah. That's, um, that's a death metal riff. Um, uh, the, um, and then there's another thing that they do that's really cool. They understand a lot about... Um, they understand a lot about black metal aesthetic values, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, and in some ways they sound more black metal than a lot of modern black metal bands. So here's an example, right? Every time they launch into the big immortal stadium riff, they throw in some kink at the end so that it doesn't resolve normally. Mm -hmm. um, so when you start to get the big echoing descending arpeggio there, right, it outlines a Dorian melody, and then this is a sort of shouty chorus moment. I can't remember exactly how it goes, but at the end, they just step it down to half steps. And th that doesn't really, like, ruin or sour what came before. It sets it up again, but it just, it's, it's a much more sinister vastness. Yeah, um, and it's, that's almost and, like a thrash technique. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's also just a classic... They're also just throwing in classic Norwegian black metal intervals. Mm -hmm. um, or one of the most outstanding leads there um, is over that initial blast, like, wall of blasting after we are fucking ice, right? <laughs> Still fucking ice, right? You get this... I'm gonna. I'm trying to see if I can find it real quick. Uh, Okay, so I found it. It's right around uh, a minute in. That is so weird. Yeah, yeah, it's, very strange. It's almost you could. It's like it's it's in sort of counterpoint with the sawing, uh, or I guess no, it's in unison rhythm, uh, but very different harmony with the sort of sawing dark funeral chords 
Um, and it is, uh, the, the note choice is just, it, it, it's strange. They're doing the things that Emperor or Dissection could have done, but never did because they didn't need to, right? They were, they were outlining the harmonic space. And then Ice are just finding new things you can do within that harmonic space that nobody has even thought of, right? Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's, uh, and, and that's happening. That's a consummately black metal riff, but it's happening on single string trem, which I think is not an accident. Yeah, I I think that I, I think that what's happening in a lot of these cases is um, I think this is a record that was probably like sort of developed on the fly. Um, mm -hmm. I think that you know some of the guys from the first record got back together. I believe that the first Ice record was like an early uh, home digital recording kind of mm -hmm. thing. And I bet it was developed and executed pretty rapidly, and I think that's a similar case here. Um, so I think that what you're hearing is the effect of a lot of the lead work being like cool, but also very of the moment and not really thought through that deeply. There's, there's an off-the-cuff quality to how sort of grinding it can be against the melodies of the main riffs uh, that I find really interesting. Um, it, it causes this like intense contrast in the way you'd hear it in like uh, an early dismember record where you'd have these really grinding power chord oriented uh, rhythm riffs with a much more melodic, like almost even Victorian sort of little melodic fragments looping over them. Yeah, I, I, I think I hear what you mean because there's nothing like exactly like that riff for the rest of the there's a lot of one-off riffs, which mm -hmm. I can see happening in a very ad hoc method of composition. It's like, okay, we've got these these dark funeral chords sort of clashing and crashing around. We need something else to happen over this. What can you do? Hey, well, how about if I come up with this riff? Uh, yeah, that's pretty cool, but it just sounds like an emperor riff. Can you, like, make it a little weirder? Yeah. And then <laughs> it's just like, okay, what if I throw it up, like, you know, um, way higher on the fretboard and, like, you snake it around a little bit and then it's got this very strange eerie tension with what's going on under it but yeah i totally see what you mean like that's a very creative thing that could happen better on the fly mm -hmm. yeah it's uh it, it is not improv but it is written in sequence with being recorded I like the idea that they saw the memes and were like, fuck it, let's get the boys back together. <laughs> I mean, it's entirely possible. Yeah. Um, let's get to uh, your first sample, because that's a really good song. Yeah, so this is... Um, it's kind of hard to pick favorites here. I would say I really... My ear really picked a perked up around track four, but now that I listen to that sample again yeah. with the first track, I'm just like... I don't know, man. This is killer from start to finish. That it's, was, that it's, was an amazing It's bracing. Sequence, so. It takes a little time to get your feet under you, I think. Yeah, I, I was, I was kind of the subpar speakers also. I think I missed some of it. Mm -hmm. um, but we get to Of Blizzards and Banshees, um, which is track four. Um, and this is the only, one of the only songs where they make exceptions to their songwriting rules. Those exceptions are very powerful. Mm -hmm. So this is one of the only songs where the big immortal riff actually resolves in the kind of like, ugh, we're the tyrants yeah. way that you want it to. Um, and it's all the stronger for that. But that's the chorus. The song sort of starts with the chorus and it works its way back to the chorus. 
but we're gonna start the sample right after you get that big epic part. And there's mid-song development here that's extraordinarily brutal and very death metal and an interesting kind of death metal in this context. Uh, and it shows that kind of songwriting sophistication I was talking about. It, this is this is very fun, but it's also not anything anyone had had ordered at this point. <laughs> I just say I, I I really like um, this technique these guys use structurally, where they'll introduce a big riff, play it just twice, tease a third, turn that into a sort of extended filler transition into another related riff. Um, there's a there's an A B sequence in there um, that features that prominently, and it becomes like one large riff block itself that that ends up being repeated. I think that's really neat. Yeah, you get this, um, there's the initial cool um, pedal point trem riff, right? Then it slows down, and then you get this sort of swarming tremolo part, and then that big sort of greasy bend. Yeah, and then, <laughs> they love those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get the swarming trem, you get a big bend, and then you get a sort of um, Stuka, dive, dive, Stuka dive bomber riff, yeah. right? You know, very <laughs> severe door, like very storming Dorian trim uh, and then they do that again that's the three riff sequence um, but they do that twice and then they just do a fucking throwdown, right yeah <laughs> and again and again there are just these like slidey throwdown riffs that are almost a little bit like Cryptopsy riffs. yeah and that's uh, that's also a very like Cult of Azazel or Thornspawn thing to hear uh, that's like a uniquely American death metal feature that a lot of those black metal bands like doing. These these sort of just contorting, um, uh, these contorting power chord riffs with really weird intervals. Yeah, um, and, and they work like breakdowns. Um, but uh, and then you know it, we roll out on some just really gnarly uh, Black Moon Parland style chording. Um, but the. Uh, so just that blistering little section, right? That's like um, less than a minute and 30 seconds is really cool. Uh, and um, there's just gripping development, one thing after another. And it's a continuous ass beating, 
<laughs> like it, it's just re- relentlessly brutal. And I want to highlight also that the kind of death metal that is here, I, I we will come back to it more. We've, we've talked about it a bit, right? I guess if it's the death metal that comes through Immortal as one of the primary points, then a Morbid Angel is going to be crucial, right? Yeah. And what we're getting a lot of here is a beefed-up version of thrashy Morbid Angel. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, like um, first mm. couple records. Um, yeah. it, uh, even some of the churning slow parts yeah. sound like weird stuff Trey would come up with. Yeah, for sure. Some of the, the bends, for sure. Um, mm. yeah. and, and that sort of, that sick sort of uh, Marshall pedal point thing at the beginning uh, sounded like a simplified, a simplified Morbid Angel thrashy riff. Uh, it, a lot of the time, this record sound in moments like that. This record sounds a lot like an epic war metal record, but it doesn't spend time on those things in the way that, say, a uh, um, you know, a Scythian would or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it just or or an Ares Kingdom would. That just is part of the the death metal frost blizzard as it hurdles by you. Right. Yeah, it, it perceives mm. those elements as just, like, natural features of this music. Yeah, yeah. Angel uh, Corpse would be a good comparison, right? There's parts yeah, on this yeah. that hit kind of like Angel Corpse, and then they uh, they just break. Yes, it's a natural part of the flow of riffs, and then we break into something that's much more like a pure death metal riff or a pure black metal mm-hmm. riff. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's very uh, deliberately blocky, but in a way that I really enjoy in the manner of, like, 90s death metal. Um, you know, just super crisp, defined starts and ends to riffs, um, contrasting riff lengths. Uh, you know, they're doing some of that like really aggressive, like almost cut time stuff uh, that mm-hmm. you would notice in sort of like death grind bands from that era. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really neat. I, I think it's a really cool way to to play with the sort of like overwrought version of traditional black metal aesthetics and apply mm-hmm. them to uh, a structure you wouldn't expect. Um, all right, so uh, let me get to another sample. Uh, this is another one of my favorites off the record. Uh, this is Raviskeith's Crystalline Return. Raviskeith being the the like winter or frost god that they say that the members worship. It's it's wonderful. Um, that's you know that's like an Inquisition thing. Mm-hmm. Like Inquisition in the old interviews, Dagon said, "I am channeling a demon." Right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And the, the band members claim that word vocals and lyrics are performed through them directly by Rava Skyth, and that there are no instruments but us ourselves. Yeah, it's great, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mm-hmm. love I love the aesthetic. I'm kinda surprised it took people so long to to do like the all white, you know, frosty black metal look. It's it's interesting. Um so anyway, uh this song's riffs are super strange. This'll be good leading off what we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Um so sort of the core of a lot of the riffing here is dissection, but twisted around in a distinctly American death metal manner. Um, there's a lot of parts of this record that sound sort of like Marduk in the intervals, but do not feel like Marduk at all. Um, just even though it's very fast and aggressive and focused on heaviness, the, the vibe is distinctly different. And the weird thing that happens is in some of the the really muted, monochromatic, more melodic black metal riffing, you'll get stuff that sounds almost like Needin Division 187. And uh, Black Metal Guy, I'm interested if you hear the same riff 
in the manner that I did there. Uh, just uh, see if you can identify it. I'd like to let everyone know that the black metal guy did correctly identify the need and division riff, so I'm, I'm not insane. Of the 60 riffs we heard, he selected the correct one out of the pile. Yeah, that was around 1830. Um, we had the... Uh, the song sort of turns on um, this sort of rushing, single-string, dark Dorian riff that's a very sort of Swedish black death or mellow death, the, the harder side of mellow death riff. Um, and then uh, the way it sort of blossoms after a couple interruptions into a way more complex trem riff that's very dissection-y. This, this huge flowering dissection trem riff. But at around 1830, we just get these grinding, gnarly power chords that are textured in some way and have the shadow of a consonant melody over them. Uh, it's very neat, and it also sounds like the more epic Marduk stuff on the second half of Panzer Division, especially Blood Dawn mm -hmm. uh, or uh, Beast of Prey, which are two, two of my, my two favorites on that record. Um, uh, but yeah, for sure, I hear it. And then, But then, of course, because they're these guys, they just do a fucking bizarre throwdown in, like, death metal <laughs> major key. Um, that, that, is such a, that is such a bizarre 
atonal death metal riff. <laughs> yeah, that is truly no, like the riff itself is kind of just in major key, but the way it contrasts with what just hit before it is so dissonant. Yeah, it's it's, it's genuinely it's, bizarre. Um, um, oh, a, a quick little side note, um, just because like so I don't forget. I really like the production on this record. I like that it's just it's just loud and it's there. Here, here are the instruments. This is straightforward and representative. You know? <laughs> well, yeah, we're, it's, it, we're, we're, we're ice, we're loud, we're here. Um, yeah, there's, there, there's uh, it's again, sort of like 90s death metal production in that it's just yeah. like flat and it's immediate. It's, it's flat. It's a good example of finding a, they have a cold tone, but it does not, um, it's a cold tone, but it's not like a thin tone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not the Norwegian. It's not thin or scooped exactly. It it doesn't sound at all like a classic Norwegian BM tone. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a big, beefy, and cold tone, which is, I guess, a trick they learned from Immortal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is very, mm-hmm. very Sons of Northern Darkness. But yeah, man, I love the leading melody on that. Um, I'm gonna. Um, the 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 sort of the initial statement of the theme, the rushing thrash beats and the, dun, 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 dun. Mm-hmm. um, I, I'm not gonna correctly hum it at this point because too much fucking happens in that <laughs> sample that I can't remember. But a band I'm thinking of with that, so so that's a great example of this sort of severe use of the Dorian scale. Uh, and dissection's a good comparison, but it sounds more like the sort of deeper well of Swedish. Swedish extreme metal from the night. So like some of the earlier at the gate stuff, or I'm thinking of like Eucharist mm-hmm. of yeah, Velvet yeah. Creation, um, or the more death metal stuff from Dawn, um, or Thy Primordial. Even some of the like the melodies are kind of like Thy Primordial. Mm-hmm. Basically, it just shows a really deep knowledge of the well of Swedish black metal. I also wonder, or whatever it was they played, I think, you know, Swedish extreme metal, which was its own thing. Um, it's almost even like a first um, at the gates, or not at the gates, sorry, I uh, I already said that. A first um, first Amana Marth record riff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but anyway, there's they're pulling from all sorts of really cool shit, uh, and um, what allows them to do it convincingly is that despite the repeated sort of greasy death metal moments, um, there's an ear for classical harmony and chord changes. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the, 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 the thing that's navigating the abrupt shifts between uh, riff styles is this ear for um, classical harmony. Uh, so as, you know, it's easy to hear this record and be like, ah, this is big, this is fun, this is retarded, right? It's not retarded at all, man. They the the wizards have uh, put put all of their craft into these spells. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's definitely a record with a surprising amount of subtlety. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's it's just subtlety. At, it's well, you know, hey, that's metal, right? It's it's a bunch of subtlety at deafening volume. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so speaking more of the death metal side of this, um, we've got uh more of an atmospheric track uh, or a, a landscape you could say this is in the middle of the record petrified cadaverous wasteland so like literally kind of a landscape track 
And here they slow down for more, for most of the song, for more of that uh, uh, sprawling immortal, uh, sp sprawling vastness type thing you get with the slower immortal tracks. Um, and this is a good place to listen for another central death metal influence here that is more um, implicit throughout most of the record, but comes to the fore on the second half of the record, and especially here. See if you can pick it out. That was just perfect. I, I really couldn't ask for more things I love lined up <laughs> in a row with immense skill. Um, so, you know, you start off with more of those, uh, you know, um, scowling, warlike, you know, uh, thrashing leads. Um, and uh, you end up very quickly in a gigantic Im immolation riff. Um, he's even, even the guitar tone there sounds like Robert Vigna. Mm -hmm. All the inflections on it. Um, the switch to trim halfway through. Yes, yeah, yeah, halfway through it turns into a slow blast beat trem riff. Um, and then it becomes a trem trem blast riff for the rest of the track. Um, it's uh, and and then the way that the way that operates with these sick thrashing bends that just cut in. Um, <laughs> it's just I mean I, I I love all that and so not much to say about it that we haven't said about the other parts. It just it's phenomenal. Um. And immolation as a death metal influence makes a lot of sense. That's like, again, this is way more highbrow than it seems at first. And in terms of black metal adjacent death metal, uh, immolation is right up there at the top. And a lot of those more, um, you know, severe low end trem leads could also be some of the more black metal parts of immolation, like we got on this uh, last record that they did on Acts of God. Um, so it makes sense in that light. And you think of Immolation also being in the background. Do you remember like Archon and Faustus?
Last night, uh, I got the opportunity to see Cryptopsy live uh, on their current tour with Hate and Abysmal Dawn. Uh, yeah. This is my third time seeing Cryptopsy. Uh, if anyone's listened to this show for any amount of time, they will know that I am a massive fan of the band. Uh, None So Vile is my personal favorite death metal album of all time, and I do have a Cryptopsy tattoo. So I'm coming at this with a little bit of bias, but I gotta say their performance was outstanding as always. Um, had a few new tracks, but of course mostly revolved around old classics, including over half of None So Vile. Hmm. It's really high energy. The guys are really talented. Those old songs have a tremendous vibrancy when played live, even with very few original members. Um, outstanding live band. I will see them every single time they come anywhere near my city. That's just a lifetime fixation that I'll always have. <coughs> Cryptopsy's eighth full-length album, As Gamora Burns, is not very good. <laughs> uh, it's not particularly bad it's mostly just not very good um, I am not surprised by this I don't think most people will be surprised by this I don't think that the band themselves are surprised by this in that the push for this album seems muted if anything initial impressions that I've seen online have been surprisingly positive, though I'm not really sure why, uh, as the record's greatest crime is almost certainly being Cryptopsy's boringest record. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for this, and it doesn't really make me think anything about what the next Cryptopsy record will sound like. I don't think that this is going to have anything to do with that, necessarily. <laughs> As Gamora Burns is a very strange sort of shot in the dark, ten years on from the band's last album, that is reaching with both hands toward a sort of mainstream popularity, but with little technical understanding of what would actually result in mainstream popularity, making for a record which, while boring musically, is very interesting to talk about in a meta-musical sense. So, Black Metal Guy, what did you think of As Gamora Burns? <laughs> I don't know. I, do you think there's some, like, parallel... Do you think there will ever be some bong-rip moment where we decide this record is actually good? Um, I... Because it is, that's what you were saying about the, like, trying to appeal to a mass audience. I for sure hear that. However, this is resolutely, completely inaccessible from beginning to end. Yeah. I, I, it, I, it is a wall of extraordinarily abrasive sounds. Um, it, uh, there, it has a lot in common with things we love. Um... But the problem is, it's like, there's, this record is just one color, but that color is something like uh, harsh sepia. Or yeah. like, um... Or like, uh, relentless mauve. I don't know, <laughs> you know? It's, um... It's, it's, it's endlessly this kind of, um... And I think the harsh sepia is really it. It's this kind of endless, uh bleak and uncomfortable and intense but not exactly heavy or crushing or astonishingly brutal heavy is wrong no it's definitely heavy i think that's the thing this does a lot of things right in that it is an impenetrable wall of noise um but it's 
all of the flourishes around it and all of the style is very sort of mainstream uh, mainstream metal, which we'll get into in a minute. Um, and uh, it, it's true. It's really fucking boring. <laughs> it really is. I, you know, I've, I've listened to this album probably about five times now, and it's extremely d- difficult to remember any moment. Yeah, I can remember a couple moments, and I'm pretty sure I got at least one of them in one of my samples. But um, the uh, it's even hard to pick them out. Um, you've pointed out that Latter-day Cryptopsy is kind of like a grind band. At its best, this could be some sort of, like, um, wall-to-wall uh, grinding... Um, yeah, this could be some sort of like very cool, impenetrable avant grind record, but there's a lot of like, a lot of stuff getting in the way of that. Yeah, um, I and I, I think I mean I guess my overall judgment would basically be like, Cryptopsy are clearly like the most extreme, most death metally, and most accomplished uh, deathcore band of the two thousands. <laughs> um, but the problem is it's 2023 and Cryptopsy aren't a deathcore band. So wh- why has this happened? And I I know that you have a complex have a, a sophisticated answer to this. I mostly what I could do while I listened to this was just try to speculate on that and come up with my own theories. Yeah, and I think that your theory is essentially correct. So let's let's kind of start on that. Okay, so that can even get us into a sample pretty quick. Um, and, you know, and I'm sure that my background knowledge here coming it comes a lot from the death metal guy already. But, um, so this is based on some stuff I remember from him and reading about them and my impressions of this record. Uh, but, like, um, if, if I had to guess what the tragic flaw with this band is, it's something like excessive humility. Um... It's being, um, I'll come back to why, but excessive humility. It's like they um, have shown excessive deference to bands that are younger than them and worse than them and influenced by them. <laughs> uh, and and done so out of basically like good, good musician instincts in some ways. Uh, but um, and just like good bloke instincts. But um, let's go to uh, just this um, memorable part, relatively speaking, early on in the record. So second track, In Abeyance, um, features a classic kind of cryptopsy breakdown, which we'll get into more. And this is one of the standard units for kind of the, uh, the breakdowns here. You'll hear that it's rhythmically actually a bit like some of the throwdown parts on the ice record we just reviewed, and mm-hmm. I'm sure they're influenced by Non So Vile. Right? Yeah. Um, but in a way, what they're doing is very classic cryptopsy, but uh, processed through this deathcore lens. Um, so y- y- here we go. Oh, 
Gentlemen, the riffs are boring. <laughs> I'm sorry to say, yeah. gentlemen, the riffs are boring. <laughs> yeah, so there's an example of... What I was really interested is the um, the boring riff it ended on, which was the least boring riff, mm. which was the kind of classic uh, cryptopsy cocking the shotgun breakdown. Mm. Um, the uh, the way they sort of pull up with that slide and then it throws into a chug. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, you can really hear Ice doing better versions of that riff throughout the Ice Rink, <laughs> um, honestly. Uh, but that's a, a kind of a style that we pointed out when we did a bonus on Nun So Vile. Uh, uh, that's is that available to the public now? I believe so. If it's not, we'll make it. If it's not, yeah. If it's not, what the hell, we'll do it. So, um, so we what we talked about was that there were breakdowns all over that record, right? There, there's yeah. a kind of person who complains that Cryptopsy got too mosh-influenced or whatever, yeah. mosh-centered. <laughs> uh-uh. They were always about that, and that was one of the highlights of the record. And at one point, there's a, a stomp on it that's just Pantera. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you can remember the song, but... Uh, I, f- I think it was Benedictine Convulsions, probably. Yeah. And... You know, Pantera's rec- big records predated it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Cryptopsy have always been tapped into the leading edge of, like, what you could say is working class throwdown music. Yeah. Right? Um, and they take that influence and they bring it into much more sophisticated death metal and carry it to just unimaginable extremes, right? That's that's the cryptopsy method since the classic records. Um, there is no ego here, no sense that they are like too good for a good old, uh, you know, a good old knuckle sandwich chug riff. Um, and they created their own really cool sort of slinky, sinister, sinister uh, fluid versions of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a pretty bland version of it. Um, and versions of that kind of riff chalk up again and again throughout this record as a kind of default tension release um, in a way that's pretty boring. Like, they managed to take a kind of riff that I'm intensely biased in favor of, something that involves a huge slide into chug and kind of, like, bounces. They're able to take that and make it boring and predictable. And the riffs leading up to it, yeah, as you said, it was all these kind of, like... uh, just a, a, a salad. There were some interesting structural things happening in terms of like fake fake breakdowns back into blasts and things like that. Yeah, the they're, riffs, they're all cool little songwriting tricks. Mm, There's lots yes, of cool yeah. little tricks all over this record. <laughs> a big bag of tricks, which then is undifferentiated because the riffing material there was so... Uh, you know, we often praise bands for really effective work with micro phrases and motifs and mm-hmm. not being worried about big riffs. But that was all just like completely. There were like 10 different riffs there, and they were all these little meaningless figures, which could work in a grindcore context, but. Yeah. So um, I, I think, especially, <coughs> I listened to the record a few times and then I saw them live last night. 
Uh, and they played a few tracks off this record. They played uh, In Abeyance, they played Flayed the Swine, uh, and I think one other. Um, and the songs definitely go over better live. Um, they're not outstanding, but they're very solid and they're a lot of fun to bang your head to. Um, the production on this album is so fucking bad, so processed within an inch of its life, Mm-hmm. It has barely anything to do with actual musical performance. Uh, the quantizing and alignment is so extreme. Everything human's been sucked out of this. And as a result, it doesn't really sound heavy anymore. Oh, that's part of it. Yes. So, like, that whole sequence could have been chaotic, unhinged, grinding energy, mm-hmm. right? Even maybe if it's not that there's not no standout riffs or anything right it could have been engaging just as a breakneck performance but the sort of the glossy deathcore production just makes that impossible yeah and i think that this leads into a sort of a a meta problem that cryptopsy faces which is a, a a tremendous misalignment uh, yeah. between the audience and the band. Like, uh, Cryptopsy misunderstands, like, yes. what made them great. And the yeah, audience yeah. also isn't very good at identifying it either. Yeah, so can I finish my part of the theory? Oh, yeah, yeah, you go will, ahead. Yeah, no, but this, this, this segues well to that, and then you will pick up from there. So, okay. like, basically, like, they're... The you know the the elephant the not elephant in the room is the death core right that's the problem for everyone mm-hmm. um um so they've always been into they've never been snobs about being pure true death metal guys it's always been fundamental to their method and my guess is when they started to hear death core or the sort of brutal death bands that influenced it right they genuinely liked it and when those bands name dropped cryptopsy they were like, hey, this kind of does sound like us, right? And they also heard how among a new generation of metal fan, right, everyone was saying that, like, they were all saying, oh, you know, watch out for a cowboy, Whitechapel, whatever, that's the most brutal shit ever, right? Mm-hmm. So Cryptops are like, okay, well, you know, if the youth say this is the most brutal shit ever, maybe that's got a point, <laughs> right? And so, so we got to incorporate it. And it's like they... It's not necessarily anything wrong with that, responding to the arms race, but uh, maybe they didn't realize an important thing, which was that most of those bands sucked ass. But um, (laughs) they also adapted... It's like they adapted too successfully, and they lost the things... Instead of picking up some new tricks and then using the wisdom of the old dog to show how you really do it and make death metal... Mm -hmm. It's like they just became very good at structures invented by other bands without losing all of the things they brought to the table or almost all the things they brought to the table at the beginning. Yeah, it seems like what Cryptopsy has extracted from Deathcore is like totally counterintuitive. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's very easy to imagine sort of, if you will, a straightforward Cryptopsy song, but with a very modern Deathcore breakdown in it. Um, it's easy to imagine Cryptopsy with really over-the-top effects-treated vocals in the Slaughter to Prevail style. Um, but what they take from it is sort of like the interstitial material of Deathcore. 
like the remaining death metal trem riffs that are like C plus level at best usually, and the sort of gestures towards pseudo epic behemoth posturing, and for some reason they decided those were the essential features of oh. deathcore. Oh yeah, there's some little nods to black metal, which are probably more like behemoth. Yeah, and they suck. Yeah, they're very record. bad. Um, so as a microcosm of the sort of like audience band alignment problem. Let's look at the production. So, Cryptopsy is well known as like a technical death metal band in some sense. Not tech death as we think of it now, but always ahead of the pack in terms of musicianship. Um, and that's true. All the members of Cryptopsy historically have been very, very good musicians. What they've never been is super tight. Um, mm -hmm. Cryptopsy on record, like on Blasphemy Made Flesh and Unsurvile, those are highly technical, but they're pretty loosey-goosey with the time in a lot of cases. Um, and, and the production is really raw. The whole performance is raw and wild. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a the classic criticism of Flo, the drummer, was that his blast beats would fade out in volume, which they would because he was blasting faster than almost anyone at the time, and it just wasn't sustainable. Um mm -hmm. Watching Cryptopsy live, they're all very good musicians, and they got kind of a loose relationship with time. Sometimes there's mm -hmm. there's a lot of sudden speeding up and slowing down, and people kind of catching up with each other. So there's something very vital and organic about that. But the yeah, problem is, cool. yeah, those are cool things, but they're things that are harder to understand. So people seize on the technicality. They think of Cryptopsy as a tech death band. Cryptopsy responds to that expectation by turning into like a polished modern technical deathcore band mm -hmm. and nobody's happy with it. It's because they were misunderstanding the fucking question to begin with. It's not that Cryptopsy's turning into deathcore. Cryptopsy basically designed a bunch of the techniques that are currently used in deathcore, but then decided to take influence from the people taking influence from them, which was inherently a dumbed down streamlined version of what Cryptopsy originally did. So there's this scent, there's this almost caricature thing going on where it's like Cryptopsy playing covers of Cryptopsy. It, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's truly bizarre. Like, you can tell that this is sort of the same band, but like from a bizarro dimension. And what the craziest fucking thing about this record is that the general conceit of this has already been done by the band previously on their 2012 self-titled release, which is a phenomenal record that is sort of like death grind meets techie, almost mathy metalcore, like super hmm. dense. Um, this has been substantially simplified from that. That is a fucking wall-to-wall -wall nightmare of an album. Like, yeah, interesting. That's got like that that punishing quality of like early Dillinger Escape Plan, but presented in a more death grind style. It's awesome. It's like almost as good as their first couple classic records. So <laughs> Cryptopsy already figured out how do we teach the old dog new tricks? Well, we get a little bit into like some deathcore mannerisms but we take the whole conceit to the furthest possible extreme in the Cryptopsy vein, and it made a great record. So I don't understand why 10 years later we're just getting a categorically inferior version of the same thing. I, 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 I don't understand. Um, 
so so there's a misunderstanding and of course uh the the audience misunderstands cryptopsy because they're like why can't they go back to doing none so vile cryptopsy is eight albums deep two of them are like that they have not been that manner of death metal far longer than they ever were by the late 90s cryptopsy had moved into this sort of technical grinding metalcore direction with the DeSalvo records. So this this idea that Cryptopsy is going to suddenly fucking regain their senses and do Non So Vile Part 2 is based off of... It's, it's completely disconnected from reality. Yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, so like... Maybe if the old heads had been more welcoming to the last record in 2012, maybe some of this could have been avoided. Well, well, there's another detail there, which was there was a period of time where Cryptopsy was trying to be a fully independent musical artist. Uh, you know, um, wanted to release their own music, you know, really relying on the goodwill of the audience and, like, the dedicated fan base to keep them going and, you know, go fully independent from all the labels. Well, looks like it didn't really fucking work. That's, like, that's the fundamental answer. This new album is out on Nuclear Blast. This is Cryptopsy saying... Fuck that experiment did not sufficiently pay our bills. We got to go back to the well of like major labels and touring. And now they're here. And then, of course, Nuclear Blast's roster has a certain kind of sound. And Cryptozzi can say they're not going to conform to it. But of course, they're going to conform to it to some degree. Um Basically, Cryptopsy is a good band that has positioned themselves in the worst way possible. Uh, one thing that must have changed is that the self-titled from 2012 has John LeVisseur on guitar. And wasn't he in the original lineup? Yes. LeVisseur was the the primary songwriter on Blasphemy Made Flesh and None So Vile. Well, there you go. He periodically... I don't know. I don't know what the fucking deal is. LeVisseur periodically pops back into the band, does a bunch of brilliant shit that makes everyone remember the glory days, and then leaves. Mm -hmm. I, I, I just... Um, I mean, so that was that also comes to the audience expectations. It's like the audience of Cryptopsy is terrible at articulating what makes Cryptopsy great. One of the things that made Cryptopsy great was John Levasseur and an incredible sense of riffcraft that was one part brutal death and one part sacramentum. And it was just the coolest fucking thing on the planet. But nobody talks about the riffs. What they can remember is that Lord Worm is really crazy and Flo Monier is really crazy. And there's really, really heavy, immediately memorable parts to all the songs. Yeah, but why are they there and memorable? Why are they memorable? Because of the guitarist. Yes, because of the fucking riffs. Now, all th the problem is nothing that the audience says is wrong. All of those things are true about None So Vile. They're missing a huge picture. But what if Cryptopsy was just about flow? And it was just an opportunity to showcase drumming. Um, what if the music was structured around that as the organizing principle of Flo getting to do cool drum tricks on every song? Well, we got an example for you. This is a song called Flay the Swine. Let's listen to cool drum tricks.
Okay, so uh, this is one of the better songs on the album. They played this one live, and it goes over really well live. Um, there's two good riffs. Uh, there's a, a grinding open power chord interstitial riff about halfway through the sample. And then the big grandiose chorus riff is pretty cool. Uh, it sounds like Black Dahlia Murder, which makes sense because Black Dahlia Murder sounds like a lot of the most melodic cryptopsy parts. Why can't you just do the thing you're good at? Why do you have to model your shit after bands that are imitating you? Like, wh why? You already have the original thing at your disposal, but you are doing this half-assed version instead. I do not understand the fucking logic here. Additionally, Flo Monier, one of the greatest drummers in metal, will just, he's just gonna have that legacy forever. I understand that, I appreciate it, I like every note that he plays. But every moment doesn't have to be an opportunity to show off a new goddamn drumming trick that you are going to then put on a Drumeo video. I am going to watch the video and enjoy it, but still, holy fuck. Man, like, not everything needs to have a cool little off-time snare part or, like, a jazzy double-handed hi-hat trick. It's so fucking cluttered. No rhythm will be stuck with long enough to generate any sort of fucking momentum. Uh, it's, it's jumping around with the spazziness of mathcore, but without, like, the raw intensity. Yeah, that's a... This is... You know what? Parts like this sound like what I assumed Cryptopsy always was. I never listened to Cryptopsy because I was like, yeah, that's spazzy technical death metal. <laughs> right? And then you play None So Violent. It's just like, oh, they play a thrash, they play a thrash beat for 30 seconds. Yeah. Right? There's like, you know, half the song is just flow playing sick thrash yeah. beats like, with like epic, like ep sort of disgusting but glorious trem riffs over yeah, it. Yeah, it's right? like, dude, mm. None So Violent, I think I mentioned when we talked about it, the organizing rhythmic principle there is not the blast beat. It is the thrash beat. Everyone fucking mm -hmm. forgets this. Cryptopsy is a band that uses blast beats as yeah. these like grind parts that are sort of like extended fills with like right. really simple cut time riffs that just generate like abrasion and tension. The meat of the music is located in thrash beats. They're an old school death metal band and, at heart. And the biggest riff there uh, to me was that sort of um, around the 16 minute mark was that sort of nasty intervaled power stacking power chord riff over a thrash beat which yeah. then like tore off in these um sickly arpeggios that are very cryptopsy and and set up a bigger riff so it's like that's those are where the riffs are given space to breathe um and there's precious little of it honestly man the part you liked at the end that sounded like black dahlia it does i hear that mm -hmm. i didn't like that i thought that part sucked no, that's fine. Um, but I guess for me, it was, it's like, at least they're committing to the fucking bit there. It, it was just, that's true. At least they stick around for it. But like, you know, the fucking sub bass drop, right? And if you do a sub bass drop, you've got to at least earn it with something really ignorant and brutal on the other side. Yeah. Or, or genuinely epic. Uh, they didn't. They just go like, right? Just like, I mean, the basic idea there is root half step down. Mm. Uh, there are 3,000 better versions of that on the ice record. Um, mm. And it reminds me, the whole passage there reminds me of like uh, Psychroptic with all the flavor sucked out. 
Um, yeah. Well, and, well, I and, that, and way spazzier. Psychroptic is never spazzy. No, I, I get the psychroptic thing, and, but it's... The thing about psychroptic is that it's like mystical and curious. It, it's not particularly... It, it's big, it's strong, but it's not really threatening. It's more this... You're exploring a space with it. Mm-hmm. Um, cryptopsy is like... <laughs> Why Cryptopsy is like doing music about being mad now, which is not what Cryptopsy was ever about. Like Cryptopsy is doing like tough music or like music to be angry to. Oh, I've got some good lyrics like don't that no, on. dude, fucking please. Like I don't uh, even want to talk about the fucking but, lyrics. It's but but yeah, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is it's it's almost like um like do you think they're like are are awake at night wondering what Psychroptic is doing. Because there's kind of a... Uh, there's like a weird parallel, right, in that both are super accomplished, serious death metal bands that also have this deathcore undertone. Um, but yeah, if you take out the mysticism and uh, ex- exploratory... and the atmosphere and the sort of... Uh, epic vistas of of psychroptic and you just have this sort of um complex mid-tempo double bass drum flammery and uh sub bass drops and uh big choruses that aren't actually big it just sucks yeah the 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 whole vibe is off um <laughs> cryptopsy has always been like if if you're going to reduce it if you reduced any band down to a primary emotion or like sensation, cryptopsy is about ghoulish delight. You mm. know, cryptopsy is sort of like happy music, just in a very perverse way. You know, cryptopsy loves tales of mad scientists, and mm. uh, and there's a, and there's a distinct like gothic edge to a mm-hmm. lot of early cryptopsy um, that's very appreciable. It's a, a very different way of presenting death metal that has something to do with, like, black and doom metal. Mm-hmm. And it has something to do with, uh, you know, with gore grind. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it takes a, a perverse delight and it's, like, it's funny and it's witty and it's 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 clever and it's also vulgar. Um, it's, it's all these contrasts that make it so special. Cryptopsy was never being about being mad. Like, Cryptopsy was never about, like... Uh, a- aggression in that sense. Uh, yeah, no, no. The kinds of aggression are so far beyond mad in the early stuff. Um, yeah, they're 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 sadistic and impulsive and sort of and wild, insane. Yeah, like, yeah, it's mad as in insane. Yeah, it's it's just really unhinged. That's what makes it so special. That's the problem. Cryptopsy on this record is remarkably hinged. One of the most hinged sounding fucking extreme metal bands I've ever heard. Or you can hear the hinges creaking from part <laughs> to part. That's why that sub bass drop was so offensive to me. It's like I heard. <laughs> yeah, just, just you can feel you can feel the labor behind yeah. that decision to put it in. I know what you're doing. It's like I do, I know what you're doing like Cryptopsy, you're trying to manipulate me. <laughs> it's like you you can't the the sub drop makes a cool moment cooler. It doesn't make a cool moment in and of itself. 
Yeah, well, um, and it's also like a base and tasteless gesture that is below a band like this and almost below a band like Psychroptic, except that if you're really good, you find a way to make it work. Yeah. S- same with the layered vocals. Um, the layered vocals could be used to make this really brutal and absurd. Instead, they just negate any of the things that made uh, old Cryptopsy vocals good. Yeah, and Matt is uh, such a better vocalist live than on record. Uh, yeah. he, he, you know, he he does a capable Lord Worm imitation on you know the earlier songs in the set list. It's, it's I I don't understand some of the decision making. So so okay, now let's let's play another little thought experiment game here. So. Cryptopsy is going for broke, trying to get back into the graces of the mainstream metal scene after being sort of shunted to the side for the better part of a decade. So they want to go accessible. They want to go immediate. So let's go to Praise the Filth, where they decide to go fully, shamelessly deathcore in their own manner, and let's just see what happens. Okay, so there we go. So Cryptopsy decides to go full deathcore and as a result end up sounding more like fucking old Cryptopsy. They tried to do something deliberately straightforward and stripped down for the fans and they ended up sounding like probably Whisper Supremacy era Cryptopsy. Oh, that, that riff, that, that whole sequence that they sustained for like 45 seconds or a minute at the end with that mm-hmm. bending riff that was insane. Yeah, that's obviously the best riff on the record. Yeah. 
so there was a, an interview that's been floating around with Paul Ledney um, where he uh, he's talking to that guy that's uh, affiliated with Hell's Headbangers. The oh, I think it's dude. just I think it's just the dude from Hell's Headbangers. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. he's talking. That's to a great him. interview. Yeah, and uh, I I thought it was really interesting. He's got super interesting perspectives on stuff. But I, one little thing that he said was he was talking about black metal, and he said I I don't like it when they put too much punk in it because the, the punk was already inherent in it. When you start re-adding it back to the mix something goes off um and i that's sort of like what cryptopsy is doing here it's like the deathcore was always inherent to cryptopsy like mm. there were things they were doing that if that term existed would apply to none so vile and blasphemy made flesh there were early overtures to a mixture of death metal and hardcore there it is inherent to Cryptopsy sound and does not need to be re-added. And when fully committed to, you realize the sort of farce at the heart of this whole thing because it just sounds like fucking Cryptopsy at that point. It's this, it's this bizarre half measure where they're uh, attempting to capture what Cryptopsy really is despite a, a massive misunderstanding of the reality of that. Uh, and they're trying to make it more accessible. That doesn't work. Old Cryptopsy worked and is so popular because it was, in a sense, already accessible. It was immediately catchy. Songs had distinct moments that fans could bond well, over. You know? Old Cryptopsy is exciting and catchy in the way like Rain and Blood is. Yeah, it's it's, it's so immediate. It there's a, a a craftsmanship in the songwriting that is designed to be crowd pleasing. It's mosh music. Um, yeah, and it has the way that the big the big riffs work like the big riffs on Rain and Blood. It's not those records are like more from the same universe than Rain and Blood and uh, say uh, Blessed Are the Sick. Yeah, there's um, that, I guess that's the thing. It's like people are. <laughs> it's like people are like, oh, you know, Cryptop, you know, Cryptopsy sold out at one point. Cryptopsy sold out from the beginning. Cryptopsy wanted to be a big band. Um, and they did it remarkably well because they had a unique sense of songwriting that was a very extreme and also immediately appealing to people that heard it. Um, so I just think that there is a just such an incredible misunderstanding on the part of the band about like what makes them great and what keeps people sticking around even after like multiple disappointing albums in their discography. 